this week I have, I'm telling you, it's been a real struggle this week to study what we've studied because the Apostles' Creed says at this point in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell. That he descended into hell. Now, the first thing that I want to say about the Apostles' Creed is that it's a helpful study tool. The Apostles' Creed is wonderful because it's an ancient creed that we've had that has endured not only throughout the years, but it's helpful for Christians all throughout time to know and remember what they believe. The Apostles' Creed is recited in many churches around the world today. And yet there's this phrase that said, he, meaning Jesus, descended into hell. What do we do with that? Some people think that, well, it, he descended into hell means he, you know, he experienced hell on the cross. And yet, that doesn't seem to make much sense. Or that he, ex that, he went, that he descended into hell means that he went to the grave. That makes a little bit more sense, but the fact is, is the English language that we have today, when we say that he descended into hell, it's misleading. The truth is Jesus did not descend into hell. And I know some of you actually believe that. You, you go, oh, yeah, but what about, the, I, for this week, I chose the most complicated text that people misunderstand for this thing. And boy, I paid for it because I've been, I mean, this really, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther, the great theologian and um, uh, father of the Reformation, he said that this was the most complicated text in all of the New Testament. When I read that, because I, I read that towards the end of my study, I was like, if I'd have read that first, I don't know, I'd have chosen something else to preach on. But the fact is, is that we're going to be dealing with a very, very difficult text. We're going to be asking God to illuminate us, because we have the Holy Spirit. We're going to be asking God to teach us. But I want you to know, because I want us to believe rightly. So what happens when we come to the Apostles' Creed and we read that line that says, he descended into hell? Well, if you're a person of conscience like me, I, just, I would just be silent. And some people, in the, but there's no scriptural evidence. I've gone through every single, I actually was tempted to come up here and do like a, like a seminary class and go, okay, so here's what this text means, this is the Greek behind it, da 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 and do it for every passage, the Acts passage, the Ephesians passage, the two passages in First and Second Peter. The, I, I was going to do this in every passage, and I just said, oh, good night. Yeah, you know, uh, listen, you can do the study. If you want, if you want to do a study, a wonderful study that was done, it was a paper that was written by Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem wrote a book about that thick called Systematic Theology. It's a brilliant, brilliant guy, Wayne Grudem. He wrote about this very subject, Did Jesus Descend Into Hell? Punch that in, Google that. If you're very interested, he goes through every single verse and proves that Jesus, this is not what the Bible teaches at all. So then what do we do this week? Well, I had the text, so I'm going to explain to you the toughest verse in the New Testament. And I'm going to ask God for great grace to do it. 
So as we go, I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Let me tell you why this text is important. Because at some point in your marriage, somebody's going to want to head for the door. That's why the passage that we're about to read is so important. At one point in your relationship with your children, there's going to be someone who doesn't talk to the other person for an extended period of time. If you're walking in Christ, there's going to be points where because you live in Christ, it won't mean that you experience uh, uh, happiness or anything like that. It means that you'll experience a suffering that you never thought possible. I want to talk to you about this text because every one of us, whether you're a Christian, whether you're right now here, a seasoned Christian, or you don't know if Jesus Christ is Lord, or you're an atheist, or a Buddhist, or, or it doesn't matter what you believe, the common thread throughout humanity is that we all will experience suffering. We will all experience pain. And in this passage, it teaches us what to do when we experience pain, even though Again, like I said, it's a complex passage. So that's why we're going to look at this today. You need this passage because whether you're going through suffering right now or you're going to be going through suffering soon, this passage will teach you what to do when you need to get through suffering. In 1 Peter, the uh, Apostle Peter is writing a letter to the readers of this text. As he's writing the letter, there, it's a specific group of people that are experiencing persecution like you cannot imagine. Because they came to, like, now, now remember this. In America, we don't even have a framework for this. In America, the way we ask people to come to Christ is like, listen, if you come to Christ, you'll be blessed. If you come to Christ, the marriage will work out just fine. If you come to Christ, hey, listen, if you come to Christ, you'll never have to struggle with addiction again. You'll never have to struggle with your kids failing you. You'll never have to struggle with single issues and dating issues and things like that. Don't worry, that'll never be a problem. Hey, if you come to Christ, your finances are going to be well and everything is going to go just fine. If you come to Christ, all of the urges that you had that were ungodly, will all, will all go away. That's what we say here in America, and that can't be farther from the truth. Fact is, is that when you come to Christ, you can expect to suffer. When you come to Christ, you can expect things to go very, very difficult. Christ promised it. He promised it. So it's not like the Bible is doing a bait and switch, where it's going, come on, it's going to be awesome, come on, come on, ha ha, suffering, Difficulty, temptation. No, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible says you want to come to, think about what Jesus says when he says to follow me. He says, come, do you remember what he said? Pick up your cross. Think about that for a second. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Pick up suffering. Imagine if I came to you today and I'm your pastor. I says, wait, you want to be a member of this church? Then, then pick up your electric chair. Come follow me. Pick up your electric. What am I saying? That's crazy, right? But that's what Jesus promises. He promises that there will be suffering, that there will be difficulty. But he promises to be with us throughout it all. And that's what makes the difference.
So you need this because you will suffer, and you need to know how to suffer well. Jesus teaches us how to suffer well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18, I think he gives us a clue. Remember, Peter is talking to people who are suffering and whose, whose businesses are not being uh, patroned anymore because they came to Christ, whose homes are being pillaged because they came to Christ, who are losing their finances. They're being persecuted because they came to Christ. Peter is speaking to them. And here's what he says. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Would you please stand with me? at the reading of God's word. We do it because we reverence God. On the count of three, we'll read it together in a spirited voice. One, two, three. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is God's word. That was a mouthful. So let's try to go through the passage. We're all going to put on, listen to me. We are not going to be, you know, we're not going to be in the kiddie pool part of the, of the water. Today we're going to go into the deep parts of the water. And I want you to just put on your thinking cap and see if you can't follow along. So he says, Peter, in verse 18, it's easy enough to understand the way it starts. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Pause. That's easy enough to understand. Even if you don't agree with it, even if you're here and you say, no, I'm not, I don't believe that. It's easy. At least you, you, you understand what you don't agree with. Christ, the Holy One, came to earth and died for your sins. You go, I don't believe. Well, listen, I'm just telling you what to just, okay, fine. You don't believe it, but I'm just saying. This is what the scripture teaches. That you and I have not lived according to God's standard. And that God has this standard and that as a result of not living according to God's standard, and you don't, you know, you don't have to take a really long test to find out, right? Have you ever, you know, we all think we're good people. But the fact is, you're only good in comparison to me. You're only good in comparison to those around you who are not living, right? You're not, we're not good like compared to like Mother Teresa, right? We're not good. So, when, but the standard isn't even Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. The standard is the holiness of God. 
And so as long as you're comparing yourself to other people, then I guess you're pretty good. I guess you're pretty generous. I guess you're pretty kind. I guess you're pretty patient. I guess you're pretty loving. But when you compare yourself to the holiness of God, we all fall short really, really, really bad. It's so obvious. It's like we fall so short that the contrast is, is stark. Um, it's like, have you ever had like a white jacket and then like, uh, you know, like a, or a white coat and then taken a picture after newly fallen snow and then someone takes a picture of you and then you, you get the picture, you get the image back and you notice how unwhite your jacket is because it was white in comparison to everything else that wasn't white. But when you put it up to the freshly fallen snow, it looks dingy and dirty and something other than white. That's what me and you are like. That's what our good works are like. It looks great because you're comparing yourself to me. But once you compare, we, com we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, we fall way short. And God had two options. He could say, okay, you can pay the penalty for the sins of your life, for the guilt and the shame that you ex experience and have. You can pay the penalty. Or, Jesus says, as God, he says, or I'll take the penalty on for you. I mean, think about that for a second. Imagine if the judge, if a judge came down and you were, on, you were in court and a judge said, guilty, 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 and then got off, took his robe off, and said, I'll do the 25 years. You're free to go. You're guilty, but I'll, you did the crime, I'll do the time. Well, that, that would be, a, I mean, that would be incredible. But yet, that's what, exactly what God does. He, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't pretend like we're good and we just need to, don't worry. You're a really good person. No, you're not. Neither am I. It's okay. It's okay to admit it. And yet, he takes the penalty for our sins. That's what this verse is speaking about. The righteous, the one who never lied, the one who never manipulated, the one who never did anything just for, for him to win and for others to lose. For him to get over and him to gain pleasure. No manipulation. No, he, every motive, every act, every word, pure and true and loving, unlike you and I. That's what that's, that passage is speaking about. For Christ died for sins once for all. Now this is important because remember, it, this is a Jewish context. And they, the way they dealt with sins was they kept on sacrificing an animal every year. And so it's almost the way we live today. We feel like we have to go back to God and have to re-atone for our sins. You ever see that on TV where in certain times of the year you see people whipping themselves, you know, in certain uh, Christian holidays, and then they walk on their knees until their knees are bloody? What they're doing is they're saying, Jesus, your sacrifice wasn't enough. It wasn't once for all. It was a good start. It was a down payment. But let me pay the rest of it off myself. And some of us do that with God till this day. You feel ashamed, so you stop coming to a congregation like this. Because you have to pay. You're not worthy enough to come anymore. The building will fall on you. All these things are completely untrue. Christ died. Accept it. Receive it. Take it personal. He died. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring, and this is important, to, for the purpose of, to bring you to God. 
Now, this is important because we th- some of us take Christ's great gift and take it as license for sin. Oh, he'll forgive me. Oh, it's, don't worry, Christ will get over it. I mean, we, that's the way we act. And it's, no, 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 beloved, he died to have intimacy with you. He died to love you. He died to take you up into his arms. Yesterday, I had the most interesting experience speaking yesterday, right? So occasionally I get asked to speak at different places, and I was asked to speak at this anonymous program. And, and so I go to the program, and my daughters, who are loving and good, fair, you know, to be fair, they said, they said, this is a bad idea, Bob. This is a bad idea. But my son, David, some of you know, three years old, and he came with me. And, and he goes, and he didn't want to go with the girls. He wanted to stay with me. You know why? Because I'm an awesome dad. <laughs> because, maybe not. Ask, I have four other kids. I don't know if you would get a unanimous uh, decision on that. But, so I can't, so I, I have him in my arms. And so the, the plan is, I have the girl's phone. I said, okay, when I'm going to go up to speak, I'm going to send. They write out the text for me. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go send. Because they were across the street in the library. And they'll come. And they'll pick him up. And then I'll be able to talk. So I go. And it was like 20 minutes of the most uncomfortable speaking you ever had to do. So I go, I send, and they don't show up. And so I go, all right, I'm committed. I'm here. They asked me to speak. I'm speaking. <laughs> so I got my son, and he's trying to grab the mic and spit rhymes, right? <laughs> he's like ready to throw heat. So he's trying to grab the mic. Then I put him to sit down, and I try to give him a phone. I'm telling you, I would have let him watch a rated R movie if he would have just been quiet. I was trying, but I didn't know how to work the phone. It was awful. So I go like this. So then I'm, like, I'm talking to the, to the crowd, right? I'm talking to the crowd. This is every bit of this is true. Some of you were there, so you can actually attest to this. So I, I was there, and I'm talking to them. And in the beginning, none of them know me. None of them know who I am. They don't know where I come from. So I'm trying to share my story. And I'm in the part of my story where I'm saying, you know, I didn't think anybody could love me. No one could love me after the things that I did. My son walks up to me as I'm saying, no one could love me and the things. And he's, he goes, I go, yes. He goes, I love you, Bobby. <laughs> you kidding? I was like, that was cute, but you're ruining my flow. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. God is a better dad than me. God would have put the mic down. God would have sat next to me. God would have not worried about whatever speaking commitment he had because the most important thing in God's heart is you. God loves you to death. And for you to think that you have some payment to do for your sins, the sin that you're participating now, Jesus weeps over and says, come over here, I've got better. I will save you from your loneliness. I will save you from your fears. I will hold you up. You want to play with the mic? We'll play with the mic together. I will hold you really close. But that's what this passage is talking about, that Christ would die. Why? To lead you to God to give you intimacy with God. Now let's get to the really hard part. Verse 19. Oh, wait, I haven't finished verse 18. Um, He was put to the, okay, yeah. Did I read it? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the blood, uh, in the body, but made alive by the spirit. Now this is important because some of us grew up in um, Jehovah Witness homes and we were taught that Jesus didn't bodily resurrect 
he, he resurrected in the spirit. And this might be a uh, passage that you point to. That's not at all what this is saying. What this is saying is that Jesus died in the body and by the spirit's power rose again. And that he was actually, that he really died and he really rose. That's all that that's saying. It is not being descriptive of the quality of body that he had. It is just saying that he really died and he really rose again. Verse 19, this is where it gets really complicated. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Pause. Oh, wait, no, let's keep on going. In, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. All right, now stop. This is where it gets complex. This is where I need you to put your thinking hat on. Do you remember what I told you about what, who Peter is writing to? He's writing to people who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are experiencing the kind of pain after coming to Christ, as a result of coming to Christ, in direct proportion to their love of Christ, they're experiencing persecution, pain, and suffering. Listen to me. He says this, through whom he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now stop right there. Now, this is a very difficult text to understand, and you have to actually go to the original languages to really see this clearly. The best translation I've seen is in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. And it has this little word that helps the translation so much more, and it gives so much more clarity. It says this in the NASB. Um, it says, through whom also he went and preached to the spirit, uh, spirits who are now in prison. Now, think about that for a second. That changes everything. Who are now in prison. So what's happening is, is that he's, Peter is talking to people who are suffering, and he's telling them, don't worry, Jesus suffered for you. But he didn't just suffer, he died. He didn't just suffer and die, he rose from the grave. And he was, Jesus was, preaching to the people in Noah's day. And now he's using an illustration about the, what they're experiencing, what people, Peter's readers are experiencing. He's using an illustration of something that happened long ago, Noah. So it's almost like he takes a commercial break. He goes, I don't think you're understanding me. You know how sometimes I take illustrations? Like yet last week we had the cardboards. He goes, oh, okay, here, I want to illustrate something for you to get the point across. And so he tells them, he says, remember how like in Noah's day, Noah preached and, and eight people were saved and got into the ark and they were saved? Well, he's now telling them that, he, but he's not telling them that Noah so much has preached as Jesus preached. This is where the beauty and the power, because remember, they're being persecuted for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits now in prison. So some people go, well, what that means is that Jesus went to hell, preached to the people who were in hell in the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the believers who died, and shared with them the gospel so that they can be in heaven with us because they, they were the righteous. Here's the problem. The verse doesn't say that. The verse doesn't say that he preached to the righteous. In fact, it doesn't even say he preached to the, all the Old Testament. It only says that he preached 
to this small slither, this small group of people in the Old Testament, namely the people that Noah preached to. For Christ died for sins, I'm sorry, verse 19, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed, you see what it says? Not to all the faithful, the people who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, for those of you who don't know, Noah built an ark. God told Noah that rain was going to come and water and a flood was going to come. Noah, in obedience to God, found God's salvation. God said, I want you to build the ark, I want you to equip the ark, I want you to fill the ark, and then I want you to go in the ark, close the door, and don't open it up until I tell you to. And so what this text is saying is that through Noah's preaching, Christ preached to these disobedient people. We know this because there's several other areas where it says that Christ preached to you, namely Ephesians. Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, he says, you know as Christ preached to you, well, you have to pause at that moment. Christ never stepped foot in Ephesus. Never. Not one day in his life. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that when he preaches the word of God, he's preaching in the power of Christ. It's like Christ preaching. That's why when we say, we say, we're going to read God's word. This is God's word, and God's word is powerful. I'm not saying I'm God, and I'm not saying that my words have any power, but I'm saying that Jesus is with me, and that he's going to speak in such a way that's going to absolutely speak to your heart in a powerful way. Did Jesus go to hell? No. Did Jesus somehow go to, no, no, no. Jesus, when he said, it is finished, he literally meant it is finished. But what about those Old Testament people who believed in Christ? They get saved the same way you and I get saved, with one difference. The Old Testament, the people from the Old Testament, they're saved by looking ahead to Christ. In other words, every time they sacrificed the lamb, every time they went through a, a, a ceremony, every time they took a Sabbath day off, they declared, they were saying, God, we're looking forward to your Sabbath rest. We're looking forward to your true sacrificial lamb. We're looking forward to your true scapegoat. All of these things were pointing to Jesus. And we, when we look at Jesus and we look at the Messiah, we look not to what he will do like the Old Testament did. We look to what he has done on the cross. That's the only difference. But we all look to the Messiah for our salvation. Now, what comes next is what's most important. It says this. Uh, through, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Now, this is where it becomes relevant. The people who were saved in Noah's time were the people who went into the ark. Noah was preaching and was being persecuted. He was being mocked. He was being vilified. Nobody, could you imagine how crazy this would be? Build, a, I tell you what, build a huge boat in the middle of nowhere with water not even in the line of sight. There's never been a drop of rain. The way the, the earth gets watered is through, um, 
is through springs from the earth that would rise up in the dew. There's no rain to speak of. What on earth is happening? What do you mean? Water's going to come from, can you imagine being the first guy to experience the first drop of rain? What? What was that? Where could it possibly come from? Because we all know that the water's in the ground. We all know that the water's in the ocean. Where could that piece of water, Jimmy, no more spitballs, right? Like, what do you do with that? The very oh my goodness, it's coming. So Noah is in this place, and he's preaching, and he's being persecuted, just like these Christians. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus, and they're being persecuted, and they're being hurt and suffering for it. And then he says in the text, they went into the boat. Then when the destruction came, they were saved. Beloved, this, he's teaching us how to suffer well. You and I, if we live for Christ, I want you to know if you and I live for Christ, you and I will suffer. Okay, if you're, watch this. If you and I live for Christ and say, no, I'm not going to drink again. I'm not going to drink again. Other people can drink. That's fine. They're normal. They can do the Christmas parties. They can do the Thanksgiving things. They can drink. I'm not going to drink again because when I drink, I don't just drink and have a sip and I'm okay. I get drunk. I look to the alcohol to control me. To feel. I can't. Others may. I cannot. And when you, when you make that decision, you say, God, help me to live that out. It's painful. It's difficult. And God says, God says, I'll save you. Come to me. Like Noah and those eight came into the boat, come to me. Like they found salvation from the water and the destruction, you come to me. So that when we're tempted, when you and I are tempted, what do we do? We don't just go, oh, I'm going to do it on my own strength. I'm going to do it in my own will. I'm going to make sure I'm just not going to pick up. I'm not going to use. I'm not going to drink. No, no, no. We go, God, here's the truth about me. The truth about me is that I think that that drink will calm my anxieties down more than spending 15 minutes with you. That's the truth. That's the truth about it. I would rather have a three-hour buzz than three hours of your presence. That's the truth about me. And we confess that. And we say that to Jesus. And then and we go, but God, would you save me? I, wanna, I, wanna, I, want, I need you to save me. I don't need to run to a false savior. What if what if you hate someone at work? What does it mean to run into the boat? What does it mean to be saved? If you can actually go, God, Jesus, I don't like that person. They're underhanded. They're mean-spirited, whatever they are. I don't know what your work situation. They're fresh. They, they use their power to um, harm you, whatever it is. What does it mean to go into the boat? What does it mean to find salvation in Christ? It means, Jesus, I know what it's like to treat you in a way that doesn't care about you, that mistreats you, and yet you responded to me in love. I know what it's like to not care about what you think. I know what it's like to, to ignore you, to make fun of you, to want to have nothing to do with you. Would you remind me? Is this the way you feel like, the way I'm feeling, the way they're treating me? Is this the way you feel when I ignore, when I make fun of, when I... Uh, uh, don't bother with you. Is this the way you feel? Man, I want to walk in your truth. I want to walk. I want to say, Jesus, teach me. I, I'm not going to run off. Would you teach me what it means 
to love her like you've loved me, to love him like you've loved me. This is what it means. He's giving them an illustration on how to endure suffering. Over and over, we can give illustrations about this. So we see in this section how to suffer well. Now, I was thinking about how to illustrate this. And by the way, if I haven't made, like, awesome connections, and this is one of, like, if you're more confused than before we started, it's okay. It's all right. You know what? I, I, I did hear this from the scribes, and I thought it was a good practice. It was this. When the scribes of old would write down God, you know, because they had to copy God's word, Whenever they would copy God's word and they got to a point where they didn't understand what they were reading and what they were writing down, they would pause. Think about how cool this is. They would pause, get on their knees, lift up their hands, and they would say, God, you're even bigger than I thought. God, you're more wonderful. There are things about you that I simply don't understand. And I think that at least, if you can leave here today with nothing else, you can leave here with knees on the ground, hands to the sky, saying, God, I'm not sure what that guy was talking about, but you're more awesome than I thought. With that being said, as Peter is speaking to those who are suffering, how to suffer well, I was thinking about how to explain this to you. And so... I think that the Lord helped me with an illustration, and hopefully this will make this a little bit more clear. So, basically, um, and for those who are listening, we're looking at a little tank with water in it. And what happens is, is that when you and I go through suffering, when you and I go through suffering, this is going to represent Jesus. The water that you see here is going to represent the suffering, the difficulties, the persecution that you and I will go through as we share with Christ. Some of you are are in sales. You're going to lose sales because you're going to walk in Christ and you're not going to fudge numbers. You're not going to you're not going to act, uh, pretend you're not you're not going to do things that are um, contrary to the scriptures. Some of you, some of you. You're going to you're in a relationship and you're going to start telling the truth. You're going to go, okay, here's the truth, but I need to confess this to you. And because Christ is leading you to do so, and as Christ leads you to do so, there's going to be some consequences to that. It's going to be difficult. And so here's me and you. Do you see this? We're, two, we're like two rocks. So Christ's the boat, water is the suffering and the things of life. It's like Noah and the flood that came, right? So what happens is, is that when you and I suffer, We go, I know how to handle this. I will take care of this myself. (laughs) And we go, I don't know what went wrong. Everything consumed me. Everything came over me. All the way, I I drowned in my suffering and my difficulty. That's one way to do it, and we do this all the time. With the example that I gave you about the office worker, we go, oh, wait, you know what? They must not know who I am. They must have not got the memo. We take off earrings. We put Vaseline on our face. We wrap up our hair. We do all of this, right? And we go, I'm going to handle this. And then we wonder, oh, my gosh, now I'm fired. Oh, my gosh. 
Now the financial consequences. Oh my gosh. Now, here's the terrible thing about this. When we're here, we go, God, where are you? And Jesus is going, right here, the whole time. You missed me by a mile. I'm not gone anywhere. He's in the suffering with you, in other words. But some, some will do what Peter said. They'll look to Noah, and just as Noah and his eight went into the boat to be saved by the destructive waters, we will come into Christ. And same problems, same difficulties, dry. Same suffering, maybe even similar tears. But we're not drowning. Why? Because we're so strong? Because we have such fortified strength? Because we're such great Christians? Because we've memorized such scripture? No, because Jesus is strong enough to uphold us during the greatest suffering of life. Because Jesus can carry us through the storms that will happen in our lives. Because Jesus can take you through the storm of your temptations. Jesus can take you through the storms of your singleness. Jesus can take you through the storms of your sickness. Jesus can take you through the storms of your sexual identity. Jesus can take you through the storms of your finances going out. Jesus can take you through, listen to me, it's in Christ Don't be like everybody else and be in the world. That's not helpful to you. That will only leave you desperate and longing for a solution. And when you're desperate and longing for a solution, anything will, anything. You know what? Some of you have done that. Some of you have walked away from Christ. You said, here's what it was. You were like, Maybe you were 15, maybe you were 25, maybe you were 50, I don't know. But you were in Christ for a minute. And you turned your back on Christ because God didn't give you your God. Because Jesus wasn't your God. Your God was the girl or your God was the lifestyle or your God was the happiness that you thought you would find over there. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not your God. And you did your thing and you sunk to the bottom and you're in horrific pain, and you wish it could all change. Jesus goes like this, listen, you can't pick yourself up. Here's what God does. I got an idea. Why don't you come to Christ? Why don't you? Because, listen, no matter how many problems you bring to Jesus, he could stay afloat. No matter how many difficulties you bring to Jesus, he can carry your load. No matter how much pain and suffering is in your life, Christ died and rose again, as the scripture said, so that you, like Noah and the other eight, could go through the waters of suffering, saved in Christ. Turn to him. Run to him. You'll find salvation, not in the affair, not in the illicit way you make money, not in the lie. You won't find salvation there. You'll find salvation in Jesus. My prayer is that that will be you today, that if you didn't get anything else that I said, that you realize that Christ can help you even through the most difficult times. He did for Noah. He did for Noah. And he'll do it for you.